0: Hello, my name is Paul, and it is a privilege to be able to deliver God's word to you. Before we begin, let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you, O God, for Jesus, whom you have revealed through your word, who gives us life, who changes our life, who gives us a living hope. And this time, O God, even as we sit at your feet, as we listen to your word being read and preached, we ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to cause us to see the matchless treasure of Jesus. So speak to us, O God, for your children are listening. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you can recall the most significant moment in your life, an event perhaps that changed the entire way you have understood your purpose of being, your trajectory, of your purpose in life, in your career, or even your aspirations? Well, if we look at scripture this time, in the book of Acts, we see an event told by the Apostle Peter about how when God pours out His Spirit, it became a watershed moment in the history, not only of the church, but that of the world. Let me first read to you from the book of Acts, chapter 2, reading from verse 22. Peter was speaking to a whole host of Jews who had come from all over Asia Minor who had now converged in Jerusalem. And as they heard about how the Holy Spirit had poured out this ability for the followers of Jesus actually to break out into different languages, to proclaim the glorious wonders of God, these followers of Jesus had just witnessed before that the glorious ascension of Jesus Christ Himself into heaven to be at the sight of the Father. And now they had experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what was all of this for? What is the purpose? Peter here explains to the crowd. He says in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then Peter concludes in this sermon in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In verse 37, the crowd who had heard this message, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Friends, what is the most significant event in your life? For the church, for the world, it is not audacious to say that this event is the most significant event of the world's history. Why, you may say? Well, it is because in this time, at this particular point in history, God chose to reveal His Son, Jesus Christ, to come into the world in the flesh, to walk with us, sharing in our humanity, immersing ourselves in the chaos of society, in the pain and hopelessness. But to Him, He brought hope. He brought light. And most important of all, He brought life. The events in the book of Acts Chapter 2 show us that it was a watershed moment in the life of the church. What could be something that is meaningful for us today? Well, for me, I think 12 years ago now, I got married. And that changed my life forever. And then a few years after that, I had my first boy. And then subsequently another boy. And I got a third one on the way. All these events certainly would change our lives too, I feel. And yet we point as people who believe in Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to an event that he himself orchestrated as a watershed moment for all of our existence. The church has historically always given as one of its acclamations of faith this statement. It's essentially three statements. It says, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Baptism is actually a posture that points to these three statements in the Anglican Acclamation of Faith. But what are we to make of such profound and historic statements for our life today? What happens when we go into baptism, when we say that I believe in Jesus as Lord? Well, our scripture passage this morning actually helps us frame our beliefs in Christ Jesus through the event of baptism. Well, firstly, we find that baptism is not just a physical immersion into water and you come out of it with people clapping your back and say, Welcome to a new community. It's actually a very profound witness, not only to those around you, but to those in the spiritual realm. Baptism, as many would put it, actually, is an outward profession of an inward transformation that the Spirit of God. Accomplishes. Let me just say that again. Baptism is an outward profession of an inward transformation that the Spirit of God accomplishes. We see in the passage that I've just read to us, that in verses 22 and 23, Peter tells the people of Israel who were converged in Jerusalem, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. In baptism, we proclaim that Christ has indeed died. But what is the significance of that statement? Why is it that we proclaim such a rather morbid statement? Why is it that in Christian churches everywhere, or even amongst our ornaments of faith, we have this picture of the cross? What is it about the death of Christ that becomes a significant emblem of the faith? Well, as we have just read here, isn't it, that Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, everyone saw him perform all these great signs of God acts of healing, acts of deliverance, acts of mercy, acts of kindness. And yet, it culminates with His dying on the cross. What are we to make of this? Why is the world going to remember Christianity through the emblem of the cross? Well, Scripture says here that His death on the cross was something that was according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God. It shows us that Jesus Christ did not get arrested and get put on the cross because he said some things that people didn't like. It wasn't just that. Underlying all of these things was the fact that it was God's plan for the very beginning to take away our sin, the sin of all humanity, not only that of Israel, of all humanity on the cross. The cross was always the plan of salvation, the plan of pardon, the plan of redemption. It wasn't as if because Adam and Eve sinned, if you are familiar with the story back in Genesis, because Adam and Eve sinned, then God had to come up with plan B, another way to make things right. And then Israel came forth. He rescued Israel from Egypt, put them in the promised land. And because they failed to be faithful to him, plan B failed. And therefore, now they have to go to plan C, Jesus himself. No, it has never been the case. As scripture has just said here, Jesus himself was delivered up on the cross according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. This shows us that the death of Christ is a reflection of a God who brings his promises to pass. Yes, even in saving us out of the benevolence of his heart to save all humanity who would repent and come to him, his plans do not change. He is someone who is steadfast. He is someone you can rely on. He is someone who would go the distance, even to the extent of the Lord Jesus himself sacrificing himself for our sake. When we go through baptism, we are proclaiming God's mercy in the death of Christ. We are proclaiming God's steadfast love. Through it all, he will not let us go. I wonder what examples of sacrifice you may have had in your own life. I remember many, many years ago when I was much younger as a little child. um, And it came to eating fried chicken, actually. I always found it really puzzling. Why would my parents always give me the the drumstick, the chicken drumstick? Uh, Being a rather lazy eater, I would tend to go for meat that was boneless. So at one point, I remember when I was much younger, I actually asked my parents, why would you give me the drumstick? And they said, well... Obviously, meat that is closer to bone tends to be more tender, (laughs) tends to be tastier. And I never thought of that much until I got older, and I realized that even with regard to food, the choice of food, my parents looked after me. They would be willing to sacrifice their choice meats for me, for my brother. And even in school projects, I remember another event when uh, I was rushing for a project. We were collecting buttons for a scrapbook, and we were late. And it was late at night, and the next day was a school day. And quietly, my mom went to her wardrobe, and she started snipping off some of the buttons from some of her coats. And these memories are etched into me even right now as an adult to think about the extent our loved ones go through for us, even in such small things in daily life. But if that is the case in our personal experience, how much more the extent of the Creator God who is our loving and faithful Father who shows us that I'm willing to go all the way to save you even through my son's death on the cross. Therefore, when we reflect on baptism, my friends, and we proclaim that Christ has died even through going through the baptism waters, we are proclaiming the love and mercy of God. We see that Death on the cross, however, is never the end. In the Christian faith, our acclamation of faith says that Christ has died and it is followed up very quickly with the next statement, Christ is risen. Scripture tells us, especially in the epistles, that the Christian would be the most pitied of all people if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. It would be such a tragic statement of faith to say that Christ has died, full stop, that's it. What a nice man. No, but as we have read earlier on, according to the foreknowledge of God, Christ died to save us from our sins. But also, intertwined with this, three days later, Christ is risen. So baptism is not just a proclamation of Christ's death on the cross that showcases God's mercy. It is also a declaration of the victory of God over sin, and death in the resurrection of Jesus. As we pass through the waters of baptism, going in and coming out, it also symbolises new life that we have in Christ, new life that triumphs over the grave, new life that triumphs over the fear of death, new life that triumphs over sin. I wonder what would be your anthem in life these days? What would be its equivalent? Going back to the time of my wedding 12 years ago, I, I, to this day, uh, am grateful to my wife because when we talked about the various songs that we would choose for our wedding march and then for the recessional, uh, I asked her, is it possible that I choose this song? And I won't sing it for you, to spare you that uh, that experience, but I would just mention a few words of that song in that recessional. It starts off by saying, um, walk on with hope, in your heart, and you will never walk alone. Now, obviously, you know that, therefore, I'm somewhat partisan to a certain football club. But that became the anthem for our wedding because we were talking beyond the footballing sport. We were talking about a philosophy in life that as one flesh, as husband and wife, we will always be together. And more importantly, in God, we would never walk alone. And that was the anthem of our marriage ceremony, and it is the anthem of our life today. But let me say something here that as Christians, we have a far greater anthem to proclaim that our witness is that Christ is risen. Now, amongst many Greek speaking communities, especially those as well uh, around the world who have been exposed to biblical Greek, there is a time, especially in the lead up to Easter, when the A service leader, especially on Easter, would say this phrase in Greek. It is uh, Christos eneste, which means Christ is risen. And in response, the community would sing Alitos eneste, which means truly He is risen. And for centuries, this is actually the, well, you could call it the anthem of the Church. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Indeed, there is in many of our English-speaking circles, okay, a hymn that especially goes along with those lines in Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. Now, what does the Bible tell us about the resurrection of Jesus? We see that subsequently in verses 24, Peter goes on to talk about Jesus who had been delivered up according to the, form, the foreknowledge of God to be crucified. In verse 24, this same God raised him up losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And interestingly, he goes on to say, David as well, fore-prophesied about Jesus being raised from the dead. David was a prophet in that regard. It says in verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to David that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Now, this is the audacious claim of the Christian faith. Not that Jesus was a great miracle worker. Not that Jesus ministered to the orphan or to the oppressed or to the ostracized of religious communities. The audacity of the Christian faith is that Jesus died, but He rose again. Now, some may say, well, it's all there in your scriptures. What else? Who else has seen this risen Jesus? Well, interestingly, we do know, actually, of extra biblical records of historians who were not Christians in themselves, one being a prominent Jew who was uh, taken away as a Roman prisoner, who wrote about this fact that the early church had actually worshipped this Jesus because he appeared to them after his crucifixion. The audacity of the Christian faith is not in promising things that are just for our prosperity now, but it's going beyond the physical to tell us that there is life beyond the grave, quite literally. And in baptism, the church back then and the church today holds fast to this anthem. Christ has died. Christ is risen. That means that actually we do not need to fear death. Christ himself, the source of life, the source of resurrection life, he didn't weep as we would read in chapters like in John 11. When Lazarus passed away, he would weep. But he would not despair, because in Jesus, who is himself resurrected, those who believe in him as Lord and Savior would also experience this in the age to come. My friends, in baptism, we proclaim not only the death of Christ, but the resurrected Christ. It is not just about us remembering God's mercy, but it is about us declaring His victory over sin and death. What would be your anthem of life? Would it be in things that are fleeting? Would it be in relationships that may not last? I humbly put before you that your anthem of life be based on the one who does not disappoint on the one who is eternally steadfast in his love, on the one who himself conquered sin and death, who himself promises that reality, eternal as it is, but beginning in the present for us. That is the God whom we believe in. Put your faith in him. Thirdly, we recognise, however, that our acclamation of faith does not just end with Christ dying, Christ rising, but it ends with a posture of anticipation that Jesus will come again, isn't it? Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. What does that mean for the church? What does that mean for someone going through baptism? Well, baptism within this threefold statement also implies that as we celebrate what God has done for us, we are now called to anticipate His coming again. But how do we anticipate His coming again? Are we just content to worshipping God quietly, privately, or maybe with some friends or in church, just do that on Sundays and that's it? I don't think so. If we look at the passage that we have just read towards the end, it shows us about what happens when you come into faith when you believe in Jesus as the crucified and resurrected one, but then also wait for his coming again. And obviously we do not do so idly. We do not do so passively. Baptism is a right into a communal aspiration for Jesus to come back again. What would that look like? Well, scripture shows us very clearly, isn't it? So let me just read it to you again. In Acts chapter two, Verses 37, now when all the people of Israel heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, it doesn't end there, however. Baptism is not just about numbers, my friends. It is so important that when we go through baptism, when we witness baptism, it is essentially a right into a new community, a right into a community that is aspiring for something in a very active way, in a very active kind of hope. It is not in any way passive. So what happened after that? What happened after that there were added that day about 3,000 souls? Well, the very next sentence in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, dist- distributing their proceeds to all, as had any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we say Christ will come again, we are saying that God, let your kingdom come. But we do not just do that passively. The passage just talks about it, isn't it? That it is a new life in community living the kingdom of God in the present. A life that is changed, where people love each other with the love of God, where there is sharing, where needs are met, where there is worship and equipping of God's Holy Word for their own lives of holiness and righteousness, and for acts of mercy and justice and compassion, to fill every corner of the marketplace, wherever they went. That was the life of the church. That was the experience after baptism. What is your hope? What do we place our hope in? In baptism, we are reminded not only about the death of Christ, not only about His victorious resurrection, but we are reminded to participate as we anticipate the coming kingdom of God when Jesus comes back again. And we are to do so With the help of the Holy Spirit, who changes our hearts, who causes us to see that God loves this world, that God wants to redeem this world, that God wants to make all things new. As we anticipate Christ coming back again, as we go through baptism, it is essentially walking into the kingdom of God here on earth. So let me just encourage you with these words once again. Baptism is an outward profession of an inward transformation that the Spirit of God accomplishes. For those of us who are going to get baptised, let me encourage you to know that this is not just your own consent given to be baptised. God has been orchestrating events in your life for this very moment to be baptised, to see Jesus as the Lord of your life the Lord of the world, who is making all things new. And He invites you now to be part of that community. People who are always in need of God as the Holy Spirit changes us every day into His likeness. Welcome to the family of God. For those of us who may have been baptized long, long ago, let me encourage you to just think of it again, to give thanks to God for the fact that He has called you into His family but also, perhaps, to renew, therefore, your commitment to life in the family of God, in the kingdom of God, to proclaim the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the coming again of Jesus. And not to do so just with words, not to do so just by worshipping in church, but to literally be that herald of good news in the marketplace, wherever you are. So may God bless the preaching of His holy word May we indeed go out in power of the Holy Spirit to live and work to His praise and glory. Let me just say a prayer for all of us before we move into our time of worship. Let us pray. Father, our baptism is essentially a declaration of dependence unto you. We thank you, O God, that you who have called us, you are faithful. You who have started the good work in us, you will bring it to perfection and completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us right now, that your Holy Spirit will indeed bring to our mind and our hearts the treasure of Jesus that Him being our Lord and Saviour means that our sins have been pardoned, means that we do not need to fear sin and death. It means that through your Holy Spirit, we can live life as children of God, even in this world, as we await your making of all things new. I'd just like to pray for any of us here who have felt perhaps a bit overwhelmed Uh, what's been going on in your life, maybe in your community, maybe even in your country. Perhaps things look so chaotic. Perhaps things may not look very promising. I encourage you to lift up your head, to look at Jesus. He who suffered with us is also He who triumphed. And He who triumphs is also He who will make all things new. So I just pray right now for all of us who may be feeling that way, that you just lift up your hands in faith and say, God, I yield. God, I receive your love. I receive your hope afresh. I receive the power of your Holy Spirit. Indeed, so that my life may overflow with your joy once again. Father, we thank you for your word in scripture, that it always guides us, it always anchors us in what you are doing, it always beckons us to do what is right with your strength. Help us, O God, indeed, to know your love and to love others in return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.